Before we begin today's episode, I want to invite you to join us this week for Explore Purpose Insiders. So each month I host a Zoom call with people just like you, and we do a deeper dive into what it means to live with purpose. And so this week, Thursday night, 7 p.m., is our second Explore Purpose Insider group, and I want to invite you to join us. It's completely free, and I even have a special guest this week. It's my guest that was on the show last week. Uh, Jim Whit will be joining us, and we're going to do a deeper dive into really what it means to learn what your purpose is and, and how to discover that. And so if you're interested in this, join us, go to our website, explorepurpose.com, and fill out the information there. And I'll send you an email with a link to join us for the Zoom call. Or if you don't want to go to the website, you can also click on the link below in the show notes. And I look forward to seeing you at Explore Purpose Insiders. Welcome to Explore Purpose, the podcast designed to inspire you to live with purpose so that you can make a greater impact on the world around you. My name is Conrad Weaver. I'm so glad you decided to join us today for this program, and I'm excited to share this new content with you. If you're a person of faith and attend church, and or even if you're not, you've probably heard about a mega church. These are churches that have thousands and thousands of people in them, and they're kind of scattered all over the country here and there. But did you know that 95% of churches in America have fewer than 300 parishioners? And 75% of churches have fewer than 100 parishioners. Today's guest, Dale Sellers, is focused on these small and mid-sized churches and their leaders. And, and he and his team help them find ways of growing their ministry of, and, and sometimes getting unstuck from areas that they're, they feel to be stuck in. And in a way, he helps them discover their purpose. This new focus of Dale's life came only when he came out of a personal crisis and he had to look inward and learn that what was holding him back and where he was stuck. So if you're not a person of faith, thanks for joining us today. And I wanna let you know that this episode will contain lots of references to church and ministry and Jesus. And I encourage you to listen with an open mind. And you can learn how looking inward and even how getting counseling and seeing a therapist can help you discover purpose in your life. So here's my conversation with Dale Sellers. Well, Dale Sellers, welcome to the Explore Purpose podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to be here, bro. We, we go way back. We go way back. <laughs> back in the dark ages of mm -hmm. uh, church world in a way. So <laughs> yeah, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you as well. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Well, that's a loaded question. So uh, <laughs> uh, I've, I've been in, I've turned 60 this coming June. And so I have literally been in ministry for 40 years, uh, live here in South Carolina in the upstate area near Greenville, have lived here in this area most of my life, but traveled the country. The first 10 years that Gina and I were married, uh, we traveled with a music group or a couple music groups and did about 1,100 concerts and churches all over the country. Through that process, really began to fall in love with the, the local church, the small church uh, specifically, and then... Um, came off the road and have worked in just about every capacity you can in a, in a church other than being the music director. I've never been that. <laughs> uh, but then uh, um, pastored a small church myself, uh, really had huge dreams. This, you know, I'm a product of the 80s and the 90s. And so when I went to that church in the early 90s, I had huge dreams of just you know, building a mega church. Uh, and the church grew from 30, which was my first Sunday, mm -hmm. to 300 to 150 uh, because we had a split <laughs> in the eighth year. And then uh, four years later, we closed it. Mm. And so I pastored a small church for 12 years that actually had to close because it wasn't healthy enough to hand off. And, and that, if that event or th that process of that event got down on the inside of me really bad. Mm. And so I kind of felt like I'd become a failure to God and took mm. uh, just left ministry, went back into construction. I grew up doing construction with my dad. And then, um, Slowly began to serve in some ministry again. And then in 2014, the Lord uh, speaks to me one day and says, I want you to start your leadership ministry. 
And I'm kind of like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm out of the loop. I don't know anybody. Uh, I haven't done anything. Uh, and man, since then, um, I didn't know what to do. So I called a friend of mine named Tony Morgan, who leads a company called the Unstuck Group. Uh, my oldest daughter, Tiffany, works there. And so I uh, reached out to Tony and I said, hey, I just need some advice. And so Tony's leading this ministry and Unstuck works with larger and uh, mega churches and mid-sized churches and uh, so I'm talking to him on the phone and, and we had to make a phone appointment. I, I didn't know what that was. I, I, I've never heard. Of, I just thought you used to calling people, you know, but so we make a phone appointment and about halfway through the phone appointment, Tony stops me in the call. And he says, Dale, Dale, Dale. He said, I can't relate to you at all. That's mm. not what you want to hear when you call to a, a Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> he goes, all I've ever done is work with large churches or in the government or in large corporations. I've never worked in a small church setting. I said, well, Tony, all I've ever done is worked in a small church setting, but you need to understand something about the small church. No pastor in America, if they're honest, thinks they're going to pastor 20 people their whole life. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks they're going to pastor a larger church. I don't mean a mega church or even a huge church, Mm -hmm. but, but nobody thinks they're going to pastor just, you know, uh, just a handful of people. Sure. And I said, I'm going to tell you something today. I've never told anyone. I said, I feel like a failure because I thought Mm -hmm. I'd be there by now. He goes, wow. He says, I've never heard that. He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to write an article about what you just talked to me about, and I'm going to put it out on the Unstuck Group site on, on Tony Morgan Live, and let's just see if it gets any traction. So in April of 2014, I wrote an article called, uh, I Thought I'd Be There By Now, Confessions of a Small Church Pastor, and he published it, and I heard from pastors all over America going, that's exactly how I feel. Wow. So we hit a nerve, uh, and, yeah. uh, and so... Uh, Tony then told me about a process called Stratop, where you go in and learn how to do strategic planning. So I was certified in that process. I uh, did that for a couple of years that I actually worked with the Unstuck group for a couple of years, specifically in the small church space. Uh, and then in uh, this coming July, before years in July, I think it was of 2018, uh, I became executive director of our organization here called the 95 Network. And, mm-hmm. and 95 stands for the fact that of all the churches in America, of the 300,000 churches that exist, 95% of them have less than 500 people attending. Mm-hmm. Uh, 87% have less than 200 people attending. And 75% of all the churches in America have less than 100 people attending. Uh, yet, though the, that's the majority of churches. It's the mm-hmm. most under-resourced group there is. Sure. Uh, and most people don't realize that that's, that that's the, 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 the way the church is, the, you know, plays out. And so, most of the time we hear about these mega churches that yes. have, you know, multiple well, thousands. They're on social media. They're, sure. they have the, te- they have all the resources, but the backbone of the church in America and honestly around the world is the small and the mid-sized church. Hmm. And so all those years on the road, you know, we would, we would meet pastors here. We are in our twenties that we'd meet these pastors and we would literally gather around them and pray for them to encourage them because hmm. the majority of them that I met even back then in the eighties and nineties were discouraged. Hmm. And so at 95 Network, we exist to come along beside and encourage the small and mid-sized church pastor. And we try to give them health building resources. Um, our focus is not numerical growth first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do want you to grow numerically because that means you reach more people. But our focus is health first. Mm-hmm. And, and what I always say is if you have a church of 30 and it's, and it's not healthy, we don't want it to be a church of 200 because it's just a bigger mess. Sure. Sure. So our entire focal focus here at 95 Network is to uh, come along beside, support, um, and encourage the small and the mid-sized church pastors with resources and things like that. And then last September, uh, I released my first book. I wrote a book. It was published by David C. Cook, and it's called Stalled, Hope and Help for Pastors Who Thought They'd Be There by Now. Mm, wow. Well, congratulations <laughs> on the book. I want to ask you this, going back to that moment where you first said, you know what, I, I'm a failure. Did you, would you say you've had, had a crisis of purpose at that point? Um, That's a one way to word it, but the reality is this, uh, it goes back to my childhood. Mm. It goes back to doing construction with my dad. Um, My dad and I worked wonderfully together. Uh, I know you grew up being a hard worker as well, Mm. but I used to go to the job with my dad when I was six and seven years old. And in in the summers, you know, when we, when I went to high school, we had three solid months off, you know, June, July, Mm -hmm. August. And so I worked all summer with my dad uh, back when I went, you'll love this. When I went to high school, you can miss 30 days in the school year. And I would miss every one of them because I go work. <laughs> I'd, I'd take a whole week off and just go work with dad, you know? And and so um, th- that was part of my, who I was. And so I, we worked wonderfully together. Uh, I don't question that my dad loved me or loves me, but the problem was my dad's not verbal. And as you can already tell, mm-hmm. I'm highly verbal. 
Mm-hmm. And, and my mother was verbal. And so uh, I found myself working harder as a kid and as a teenager and even as a young adult I, to try to get my dad to acknowledge me. Mm. So like if, you know, if we came over and we, we did work for you and your family, uh, he would sit and tell you guys, oh, boy, Dale did a great job here. And he point out all this stuff, but he never told me. Mm. And so what happened was I began to work harder, try to get him to notice me. And somehow in my life, somewhere there, I shifted that toward my walk with God. Mm. And so I found myself, uh, you know, you could ask me, okay, we could do a concert and have, you know, 500 people there and, and 50 people give their life to Jesus. And you could ask me, you know, how'd you feel about that? And I would be like, well, it should have been 550 people and 51 people mm. should. I, I never let myself. You never measure it up to yeah, your I expectations. Not, so, yeah. And, 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 and I used to, this is so wild because this just came back up in my mind when I was writing the book because I forgot about it. I used to say all of the time. I have this image of what a good man is or a great man or a mature man is, but I just can't attain it. Mm. And it goes back to the title of the book. I thought I'd be there by now. Mm-hmm. I, I, the problem was I didn't know where there was. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't fulfill my purpose because uh, I had set the bar. I didn't set the bar high. I just set the, I set the bar out of sight. Mm. And so I couldn't fulfill my purpose at all. And, uh, it, and somehow it, it somehow it morphed into becoming all about all the things I could do. See, I grew up in a Baptist church where mm-hmm. you were taught you're saved by grace through faith, free gift, free gift, free gift. You can't do anything to make God love you anymore. You can't do anything to make God love you any less. Then those same people would spend the rest of their life proving how saved they were by their works. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you call religion. Yeah. And I had a lot of it. I had a, had a lot of it, didn't know it. So all of this, yeah. uh, it took its toll on me. And uh, actually this past December, six years ago, this past December, I had quadruple bypass surgery. Oh, wow. 53 years old. I was 100% blocked in one artery and 90% blocked in three arteries and didn't know it. I had what they call a Widowmaker. Mm. And my surgeon, I asked him, I said, how did this happen to me? Because we don't have heart disease in our family. I've never smoked except for six months in high school, but I didn't inhale because that's bad for your lungs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and, and, uh, I've never been severely overweight. He said it was hypertension and high blood pressure because of your vocation. Mm. I said, are you saying the ministry almost killed me? He said, that's exactly what I'm saying. And so I said wow. something really stupid. I said, well, my stress is good stress. I love what I do. <laughs> and he goes, well, Dale, your, your body doesn't know the difference. Uh, and so, uh, so I, I'm going to turn 60 this coming June. And I feel like only in the last five years have I actually started living. Wow. So <laughs> before that five years you know, ago, mm-hmm. how is what you did then and who you were, how were those the same or different? Uh, I don't think Jesus is keeping score anymore. Mm. Whereas before I felt like I, he was always keeping score. I always felt like he was disappointed with me. Mm. I always felt like no matter what I did, that it wasn't quite enough, but Jesus would be like, you know, Dale, I can't believe you wasted all the things I've given you. And you got to understand again, you can already tell I'm a stinking mess. All right. But growing up in high school, I would, we, our church would do these things called youth rallies. And you'd go to these mm-hmm. youth rallies and they would, the pastors would always get up and say this, when you get to heaven, there's going to be this big movie screen and it's going to show the video or the movie of your life. And they're going to show all the people that are in hell that you didn't reach mm-hmm. because God intended for you to be the person to save them all. And, <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, and Jesus is going to look at you with a sad eye, maybe a tear running down his face, you know, going, well, I guess I'll let you into heaven. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and see, as stupid as that sounds, I believed it. So I'd walk down the halls of high school and go, oh, man, I, I didn't I didn't win all these people to Jesus. He must be mad at me. Or I'd go to a Clemson football game and there's 80,000 people there and go, now that I've been here, I'm responsible. And I know that sounds so messed up, but all that got down on the inside of me. Mm-hmm. And so I just felt like I couldn't do enough. But again, it goes back to the fact was I didn't know where there was. And uh, and the difference today is I, I realized I'm just, I'm as it says in the, and one of the older texts, I'm accepted in the beloved. What was the process for you to discover that? I have a friend in Dallas, Texas named Bob Hamp, who uh, is a, it's a counselor. But when I'm, I just basically our church that you used to work at with that I worked at, mm-hmm. we, we took our church through freedom ministry. And Bob did a teaching called the problem Jesus came to solve. And that teaching changed my life. And it basically Mm -hmm. says this, you know, if you ask people, why did Jesus come? 
they'll always say, well, Jesus came to pay the penalty on the cross for our sins and, 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 and die for us, which is absolutely true. But if you listen to Jesus define why he came, he always said, well, I've come to give you life, or I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I want to give you life and life more abundantly. And so what Jesus said of himself was, I've come that you might have life. Well, the reason he did this, because that's what we lost in the Garden of Eden. Uh, there was two trees in the garden, but we always talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the Bible says in the same verse that tells us about that tree, there's the tree of life was there. Mm -hmm. And so so what Bob says, you know, Jesus, uh, if you ask people, like, if I ask you today, how's your spiritual life, Conrad? How you doing? If your first thought is, well, let's see, this week I read my Bible, I gave my tithe, and I helped an old lady across the street. Oh, I'm doing good. <laughs> or you go, oh, man, man, I cussed under my breath. Um, you know, I lusted in my heart, you know, I, and I kicked the cat. It, it, when your natural response is to think about your performance, mm -hmm. then, then, then again, it's about us doing, thinking that we can do good on our own. Mm -hmm. and, what, and I love this line. And again, I'm in one minute trying to do a, a phenomenal teaching that Bob did. Uh, Jesus didn't come to make bad people behave good. He came to make dead people alive. Mm. Somewhere in there, something clicked for me that he's not keeping score, that he's not mad at me, that, that I don't have to save the whole world. Uh, and then, and then uh, just to go to another level, this past uh, summer, I took a sabbatical, 40-day sabbatical. I've never mm. been on sabbatical in my life. And the first week of it, uh, we were at the beach. Our family, my wife and uh, Gina and my daughter Lydia, we got caught in a rip current and got pulled way out, and I almost drowned, wow. which is which is the second time I've almost drowned. And it broke me. And, and so what mm -hmm. I did was uh, I called up Bob and I said, "Hey, I, I need help. I, I've, I, I'm broken." And so we went. For, I went for counseling for a week. Sat, in, sat on his couch. I have never done that in my life. Mm -hmm. I wasn't opposed to it. I just never did. And, and what Bob helped me to see was, he says, I always put the needs of other people first. He said, well, they mm -hmm. tell you on the plane, you know, put on your mask before you put someone, mm -hmm. but that's not the way that I've operated. And that's the way pastors are. Mm -hmm. We always, we will kill ourselves to take care of everybody else. And Bob said, you're no good to anybody if, if you do that, Dale, because uh, you can't help people because you yourself are dead. And mm -hmm. so I began to understand a lot of, I just, there was just so much performance based in me that mm -hmm. affected my, you know, or that affected how I viewed my walk with God. Mm -hmm. So what motivates you to do what you do today? It's really simple. <laughs> when I get to heaven and, and this is not a works thing. I want to make sure I clarify that. It's, I, don't, I don't feel like I have to do this, but what I, I'd love to see happen is when I get to heaven, I would love to see Jesus and I'd love for him to give me a little fist pump and say, thanks for helping small churches. Hmm. Yeah, I just, that's what, I, that's what motivates me is, uh, I used to lay on the floor of my office and cry for a friend because I was so lonely. And, uh, and, and again, I didn't want to unload on my wife. I didn't want to unload on my kids, all the stresses and pressures of ministry. I wanted my kids to grow up to love the church and love Jesus. Uh, and uh, I wrote an article about this recently. Um, I had this one board member that I actually reached out to and said, hey, man, uh, I'm not doing so well. I, I want to kind of share some stuff with you. And he said, stop, 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 stop. I, I, I can't hear this. I, 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 my life is a mess. I need your life to be perfect. So please don't tell me. Mm. And I said, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> who do I talk to? And so that reinforced, right. uh, you know, just the, the loneliness of it all. And, and I don't feel that way anymore. When I, you know, uh, if I could get just totally to the, to the underneath it all, I used to hate the verse. I shouldn't say hate. I didn't like the verse where Paul says to live as Christ and die as gain because I didn't want to mm. die because I felt like God was mad at me. And when I got to heaven, it wouldn't be enough. Mm. Uh, I'm good with that verse now. Mm. And so every day I, I want to live for Jesus. I want to help somebody. I want to be available. You know, if people call us and we get calls from all over the country here at 95 network, when a pastor calls or sends an email, I respond to every one of them. Mm. Uh, if people call, they want to, you know, they want to be part of what we're doing. I, I, I take every call. Uh, because every uh, every calls an opportunity uh, to to minister to somebody. So, you know, when you said that, you know, I, I wasn't alive. I wasn't, you know, I need life. Mm -hmm. How much more impact can you have when you're living in your purpose, when you're walking in your purpose, and when you're really truly alive? You do what you were to, what you were created to do. Uh, 
I think most of our lives, you know, John Maxwell used to say this all the time and, and it really bothered me. He'd say, when you drive by most graveyards, that's where most people's dreams are. They hmm. died with their dream in them. And uh, God won't let you experience or walk in your dream or even walk in your purpose as long as you think you're the one that's got to make it happen. So you go back to Abraham and, you know, God, God promised Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of, you know, countless people and all this stuff. And, but what does he do when Isaac's born? He tells him to go sacrifice him. And, and in Hebrews, the Bible says that, that basically Abraham received Isaac back from the dead. Figuratively speaking, he, 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 he killed him. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what God always does with your dreams, because he wants you to understand your dream is not your dream. It's his dream for you. And you can't do it independent of him. And I've always been guilty of going, oh, the Lord gives me a, a little bit of a direction. And I go, okay, I got it here. And I take off. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, you got to walk in step with me. Uh, and so uh, fulfilling your purpose is just understanding that, you know, the most important thing is, 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 is living in with and on a daily basis with Jesus and understanding he, you're the apple of his eye. And that, that's, that took a while to accept for me. Mm -hmm. How do you keep that focus, that attention on that focus and, and on that purpose? How do you keep focused on the purpose? Well, it's, it's really simple. I, I have this little thing that we talk about around here at 95 Network called we, we're, we don't want to touch the glory. Uh, because what I have seen in my life, and I know you've seen this too, I've, I've, I've been in ministry a long time. I've seen lots of people come and go. I've seen big, big time pastors come and go and small church pastors come and go. Mm -hmm. uh, and what happens is, is God will not share his glory with anyone. And so what I have found happens is you get to a place in your life where either one, you think it's about you. You think, oh, I made all this happen. Or you think I got to make it happen. Mm -hmm. If you get to that place in your life, you get to where Samson got to. Remember how Samson kept playing around with his anointing and he would kind of tell Delilah, you know, because he was anointed to take out the Philistines. That's mm -hmm. what he, that's what he was called to do. Uh, and he kept playing around with that. He kept getting flippant with it. He kept, he kept teasing with it. And then one day he finally wears down and tells her the truth. And it says this, I think this is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Delilah says, you know, he wakes up, Hey, the Philistines. And he says, he got up to go do what he'd always done, but did not realize the spirit of God had departed. Mm. I don't ever want to get there. And, and, and I, I'm not talking about necessarily my salvation, but just mm. my ability to be effective and to help people's lives. I don't want to ever want to do it in my own street. So we literally, just before I got on with you every Monday morning at nine o'clock, our team has a prayer call. And one of the things we pray every Monday, every week is, Lord, please don't let us touch the glory. Please don't take your hand off what we're doing because we started thinking it's about us. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's about us. I, I think I get to be in partnership with Jesus. I get to walk into what he created me to do or to be. And I also, uh, you know, I get to share my story with people. But if I don't get to do any of that, I'm still good. Mm -hmm. And that's what's different now. It mm -hmm. used to be that I wasn't contended with that. Mm -hmm. There was always this thing gnawing in me going, oh, but you need to be doing this. I, I, you know what? If, if today someone calls and says, hey, we fire you from 95 Network, it's over. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, why do you think pastors and even you know, business leaders, or leaders in general, you know, why do they lose their focus? It's really simple to me. So if you ask me, and again, my space is the small church. Uh, why, why are 90... Why are why are 95% of all the churches in America small or mid-size of the 300,000? I think it's really simple. Uh, there's two things that I think. One is there's this book called the Bible. And there's a guy named Jesus. He started this thing called the church. And in Ephesians 4, he told us exactly how to do it. He says, I'm going to give you these ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip saints to do ministry. We don't do that. We, we don't equip saints to do ministry. The, 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 a lot of the larger churches, the reason they are larger is because that is what they do. Mm -hmm. But the majority of churches don't do that. So why don't small churches equip? Well, there's one of two reasons. One is the pastor defines his life by, what he, by, by his ministry. In other words, instead of ministry being what he does, it's who he is. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the place in your ministry that you define your life by what you do, then the success or failure of it makes you a success or failure. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I was. Mm -hmm. And so, so you don't raise up people. You don't give off ministry. You don't share with people because you need to do everything to be needed because it fills your emotional tank. Mm -hmm. So you like to, you like for people to say, oh yeah, did you hear how Pastor Conrad got up at 3 a.m. and went to the hospital? And, and that fills their tank. Mm -hmm. The problem is you can't keep living that way. 
Sure. You know, because you, and so that, that's one of the big things is a lot of our, our pastors define uh, their life by what they do instead of ministry being just something they do. And, and, and they are who they are because of who they are in Jesus. You know, they're mm-hmm. a husband, a, a dad, a mom, uh, you know, a, a, a parent, a friend, but mm-hmm. they don't see that. And then the second thing is, uh, is the uh, just the way our churches or the governmental setup of our churches in America typically is not biblical. So we have the American American government version of the of, in the church, and you can't find that in the Bible. You know this whole congregational democratic kind of deal, mm-hmm. uh, where people view the pastor as a hireling, and they look at the pastor and say, "We hired you know we're your boss, you work for us." Uh, that's not healthy, and so so because of those two things, uh, the church is not allowed to flourish and grow because it's not set up correctly, and. Mm-hmm. I, so, I see that a lot. <laughs> so how can a pastor, how can a leader really re, you know, go back and get their purpose back and discover that purpose and really begin realigning themselves as who they are with what they're supposed to be, you know, actually who they're supposed to be? Well, I think the first thing you have to acknowledge, and this, this is going to be an answer you're going to think kind of came out of left field, but then you think you did. I think a lot of us are layered with trauma. Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, you know, I did not know till I went through my experience this summer. Uh, I did not recognize I had not been told this, that that the trauma has the same effect on you as a physical injury. Mm-hmm. So if you and me are out cutting wood together one day with her, and, and I cut my arm off with a chain, so I, I don't look at my arm and go, oh, I cut my arm off and we keep working. We, we deal with that. Right. But when it comes to trauma. And most of us experience trauma as kids, as teenagers in our early years. And if you're in ministry, you've had lots of trauma. Mm-hmm. We've been told as the leader, you're supposed to suck it up. You're supposed to, mm. you know, you're supposed to lead through that, you know, don't be a wimp or all those kind of things. And so we bury these levels of trauma down on the inside of us. And so, you know, I, I, you and I had talked earlier off before we started about PTSD. I, th- I think the church is full of leaders that have post, not even post-traumatic stress, just traumatic stress. Traumatic stress, right. Because they, mm-hmm. because trauma, once it gets inside of you, it doesn't go away. It cycles right. around. It never leaves you until you begin to deal with it. And mm-hmm. we haven't even been taught that. So, so we don't talk about mental health. Uh, we don't talk about working through those kind mm-hmm. of issues. Um, and so we get to a place that we're wound so tight that, it, that we, we lose our ability to be effective. And, and see, sometimes the things that are bothering us happened in our life 20 years ago, but we don't recognize it. And it's kind of like when I grew up in uh, elementary school, we had this game outside called a tetherball. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, the ball on, yep. on the rope. And, yep. and, you, and well, I think that describes a lot of pastors is we're wound mm-hmm. so tight uh, because we've got layers of trauma. We, we don't get health. Uh, and, and honest, I just got to be honest, Conrad, a lot of a lot of churches beat their pastors up yep. uh, and, and they have nowhere to turn. And uh, you, you just get you get so dysfunctional that you're just trying to get through the day. And, and instead of embracing your purpose. Instead of becoming a man or a woman of purpose, man, you're just trying to survive. Mm. And God didn't call us to survive. He called us to thrive. But you can't mm. thrive if you're if you're in survival mode, if that makes sense. You know, I've over the past two years, I've I've interviewed a ton of firefighters and other first responders, mm-hmm. and they get their their, their own uh, self kind of wrapped up in who they are with what they do. I'm a firefighter. I'm a police officer. Yes. And when they retire, the, you know, the average uh, a lifespan of a firefighter or a first responder is 58 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when they retire, they lose their sense of identity and they lose their sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have your purpose and when you don't have that, you're not alive. Right. And so you don't it's have the same to thing for. And so thing. pastors, it's the same thing. Right. They define themselves by what they do. Right. We have a one of the guys on our team. His name is John Sanders. John is a first responder uh, as well as in ministry as well. He, he kind of mm-hmm. does both. And he he talks about that. And, you know, one of the other things that's happening is, you know, the suicide rate is, is mm-hmm. really skyrocketing in these arenas because yep. of the stress. Because we're not, again, you know, if a pastor is told to suck it up, certainly a firefighter or a police officer, uh, you know, and then we have this political climate that we've had the last yep. few years. And we have a national pandemic or international pandemic. I mean, that's just everybody's got so much stress. And if life is wrapped up in what you do, mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, if things are going good, you're great. But when it mm-hmm. goes south, you know, if you've been told to buck up and you can't be real and, you know, if you forget to put your mask on first, mm-hmm. uh, you'll suffocate. Wow. So 
What's the answer? Uh, I think you got to find who you are in Jesus. Uh, and, and again, uh, of course, you say that, Dale. You're in ministry, but but mm-hmm. it's the truth. We this is uh, we. We, this is, we were created by God to fellowship with him. That was the intent with Adam and Eve, to walk with him. And, 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 and in my book, I talk about the fact that Jesus wants in ministry, he wants us to do ministry from him and not for him. That's a big difference. Hmm. If you feel what like is the you, difference? Well, if you feel like you got to do ministry for him, you feel like, you know, that you're being engaged and measured and keeping a score. But when you do ministry from him, uh, you're just letting him work through you. That's the difference in my life today. Uh, I, I don't try to do ministry for him because honestly, there's nothing he needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do mm-hmm. I have that I can offer God? What did I have that I'll offer Jesus? I, I, he doesn't need anything. You know, even our whole serve mentality that we have in a lot of our churches, sometimes it's guilting people into serving to fulfill what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. And, and we tell them, man, God needs you to do this. No, he doesn't want you to, he doesn't need you to do things for him. What he wants you to do is walk with him daily and be a pipeline that he ministers through you. And that's the difference in my life today is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the things that God has done and the doors that have opened in the last five years for specifically now for 95 network, no man could open the opportunities, mm-hmm. the things uh, our team consisted of two people this time last year. And now we have 13. Wow. I couldn't make that happen. And these people are from all over the country and they're some of the greatest people you'd ever meet in your life. Uh, I can't, none of this stuff that's happening in my life. Uh, in fact, I looked at my wife, Gina, the other day and I said, you know what? I think I'm being used. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the goal. It's just to get to a place mm. where I walk daily with Jesus, uh, where I enjoy his presence. I don't get religious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he never, he never intended for us to do that. And I just let him work through me as he chooses. And I don't have to make things happen. So I, if I could describe it this way, I feel like today I live a pressure free life. Mm. That's a good place, man. That is a good place. Pressure for sure. Life, you know, and, and I wake up every day going, okay, today's going to have some opportunities. And then some days there's just, they're just regular old days. And so know. maybe you'll have a pastor of a, you know, a church of 250 and, and he will say, yeah, you, you're not pastoring a church. You have a pressure free life. Of course. We are a nonprofit. We have to raise all of our money. Uh, as we crawl, as we get into this new year in the last four years, we've had almost $900,000 committed to us that I can't make that happen. Mm-hmm. So you talk about pressure, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we have people we're responsible for, you know, making sure they get covered, paid. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I take very seriously what we do. Uh, but, but again, the pastor who would say that is, the, I can assure you that pastor thinks they have to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to something that I heard Andy Stanley say years ago, you know, sometimes uh, we talk about in the church, we don't want to talk about money. And, and Andy Stanley was talking about, well, the reason we don't talk about money is because uh, w- there's this assumption, if you talk about money, that people will leave your church. Mm. Well, but, but Andy said, but yeah, but that, the, you, so you assume the opposite to be true. If you don't talk about money, they'll stay. He said, people still leave your church. In fact, <laughs> the reality is this, everybody's going to leave your church. They're going to mm-hmm. die, move away, or change churches, and you're going to leave your church one day. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of the great ways I could illustrate that I, I live now is I live more open-handed. Mm. I, I don't feel like I have to make things happen and I don't have to hold on to it. And I think a lot of, again, it goes back to what we said earlier, a lot of pastors, because they define their life by what they do, they have to hold on to everybody. So, you know, you, you go and you train somebody, you get them all trained and then they move away or go to another church and you, and you spend six months or either the rest of your life angry at them because you mm. poured into them and they were your people. Pastor, none of those people are your people. Mm. They're not your people. They're Jesus's people. And sometimes mm-hmm. he uses you to be a launching point or a sending point to train people and get them ready. It's about the kingdom. And that's the thing I think we miss today the most is we don't talk about the kingdom enough. We, we, we just, we focus mostly on our own individual little worlds. And mm-hmm. as I heard it said one time, if, if, if your whole focus is, if your world is wrapped around you, you have a very small world. Mm. You know, that's, in, in working on this new thing, explore purpose, mm-hmm. I really, my focus is my listener and helping them, inspiring them to live a life of purpose and meaning mm-hmm. so that they can impact others. Yep. Because if I don't have, if I'm not living out my purpose, my impact is minimal mm-hmm. or it's going to be a negative impact, right? Mm, that's, that's, boy, <laughs> we could spend the rest of the day on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How- the, the, you, you close down the pipeline. 
again, mm. is, if, if there's one thing that I would love to put inside your listeners today is that little thought that God intended for us to do ministry from him and not for him. When you think it's about you or your, what you just described, we're the ones that tighten up the flow. Mm-hmm. And that pressure, you live in that pressure all the time. And, and still God, I know God could still use us at some level, but man, he just wants us to open up the pipeline. It's funny because I, heard, I heard, uh, heard Pastor Jack Hayford talk about this a year ago. He saw my giving. And he'd gone through a personal crisis where he was, his finances were getting tight. So he stopped giving and, and then, you know, things kind of went south for him. And he said he was praying about it one day and he was kind of whining to the Lord. And, he, and the Lord said, I'm not the one that closed off the spigot. You are. Hmm. Well, I think that's what happens to us when we get so wound tight that, that instead of, as we get older, we should live in more freedom. Hmm. By the time that I reach the end of my life, I should be the most loving the most forgiving, the most caring, uh, the most compassionate. Uh, my desire should be to pour into as many of the next generation as I possibly can. Uh, and honestly, Conrad, I see a lot of pastors, the older they get, the meaner they get, if I could say it mm-hmm. that way, or the more shut down they get, or the more arrogant they get, or the more legalistic they get. And I, I'm just going, man, uh, somewhere in there, you've been, you've been closing down that, you know, the faucet, you've been closing mm-hmm. down the spigot as you from the South, you've been mm-hmm. closing down the spigot, you know, and uh, man, I want to live more open-handed. I, in fact, I've already mm-hmm. got a young man right now uh, that I'm training. Uh, I've already announced to our team that I'm training to take over this ministry in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it's, awesome. It's not successful if I don't raise up a successor. Yeah. And most churches don't do that. You know, going back to the spigot analogy, I remember back when I was in youth ministry at uh, at the church that we worked at together, yeah. mm-hmm. I often told our teenagers, said, be a spigot. I said, open, let God's love flow through you to others. And I, so that really comes back to me as the, the, the stuff now, I We want to make sure we tell everybody, about. if you're not from the South, it's faucet. <laughs> faucet but here, yeah. here in South Carolina, it's called spigot. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we, we refer to a garden hose as a hose pipe. Right. So. <laughs> that was a new one for me. When I moved to South Carolina from Ohio, I was like, what in the heck is a hose pipe? <laughs> hose pipe or crack your window, which means to let your window down your car. <laughs> but that's what a spigot is. And, and honestly, the freer we get, the more confident that our, the more our confidence is in who Jesus made us to be, and that He, we are accepted in Him, as it as it says, accepted in the beloved. The, the, then the more open we can be, mm-hmm. the, the more transparent we can be. Uh, you know, I, I don't live my days hiding anything because mm-hmm. there's nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the things I, I learned, and, and and I put this in the book. You know, uh, the Bible says we have this treasure, this presence of the Lord, and these. Uh, Jars of clay, one mm. translation called crack pots. Mm. Well, I spent the first 55 years of my life trying to pretend like I didn't have any cracks, mm. that, uh, that all those things, well, I'll try to gloss them over. And then I discovered that it, because he does his work on the inside of us, the cracks are, is where he shines through the brightest. Mm. You know, if you've been messed up, if you've, you know, I tell everybody, hey, the best person to ever pray for you if you're sick is someone who just got healed. Mm. You know, the best person to help do counseling in your life is someone who just, who just overcame, who just mm-hmm. went through it. And so uh, I don't spend my days anymore trying to pretend like I don't have the scars and the cracks of, of life, not just ministry, just mm-hmm. this is true for anybody, whether you're in ministry or not. You know, the, the treasure we have, the fact that God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That, that is the gospel. That gospel is that he wants to live inside of us. He wants us to fulfill the purpose that he called us to be by, first of all, allowing him to be who he wants to be in us. Well, you can't spend all your time and energy trying to cover up the fact that you got those cracks and those areas and those scars. Let him shine through them, man. I, that's, I think that's what's worked most for me. Hmm. So what's a practical thing that someone can do that can move them toward exploring their purpose or discovering their purpose? What's something practical? Get counseling. <laughs> I just, especially if you're a leader, um, you are not that good. I don't mean, I don't, I don't know you personally, but I'm telling you now, cause I've, I've, I've hung around, I've hung around the biggest and the best and the smallest. Uh, we're not that good. We, we, we need somebody. And again, I'm not, I'm, you know, when promise keepers come around and you're supposed to get in groups of guys every week and, mm-hmm. and pour your stuff, I, I just ain't doing that. And I'm just mm-hmm. going to tell you, because the problem is, is I got to know that you love me. Mm. 
You know, I'm, I'm not going to be honest and transparent and share my stuff. If I think you're going to judge me, are you going to leak it out to our friends? Mm-hmm. But you got to have somebody you can open up to and talk to and share. Obviously, first of all, it's your spiritual life doing that with God. But you, you know, if you're, if you're broken, uh, it's just the most bizarre thing. If you break your arm, you go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. If you think you've got cancer, you go to the doctor. If I mean, in any physical arena, you go get help. But when it comes to emotional, internal stuff like that on the inside, we, we just think we're supposed to keep it to ourselves. And you will either explode or implode if mm-hmm. you do that. And I think it's important that uh, the most practical thing you can do today, especially if you're a leader, is go find a couch and sit on it and, and just and just <laughs> share. Be on it because you know, it's very helpful yeah. to do that. Yeah. Well, I've seen that just with some of the folks I'm working at, you know, on with my film, I've seen them, you know, broken. I've seen them and being willing to, I, I'll tell you this and kind of uh, back to your statement about you don't like going into the group and having the that group thing. I, I was invited to an AA meeting a few years ago when I was working on the documentary about, uh, about opioid addiction. And I went down to DC, a DuPont circle area, DC. There's a, there's an AA group there that meets that has been meeting every day for 30 to 40 years, mm. every single day. And there's guys in there that have come every day for all those years. I'm telling you, it wasn't a spiritual atmosphere. It wasn't, mm. but it was actually, it was spiritual. Yeah. It wasn't a religious atmosphere. There you go. It wasn't a Christian, you know, atmosphere. It was a, tw- it was a 12 step AA group. Mm-hmm. I have never felt so much love and acceptance mm-hmm. from any group I've ever been in. And I was a total stranger. Yeah. Those people, they, they were as black and white and straight and gay and just the whole gamut of gamut. human society was there. And the love that was expressed with each other, because you know what, what they all knew? We're all broken. Yep. I, th- I think sometimes you can find, uh, you may have to edit this one out. Uh, <laughs> I think sometimes you can find more love acceptance at a bar than you can at a <laughs> church. I would have to agree with you. I mean, just, you know, I mean, I don't, it's not that I hang out in bars, but, but, but it's just, I, I, you know, once somebody's had two or three drinks at them, they get transparent <laughs> <laughs> and you get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. If yeah. they have an anger issue, you discover it. Right. If they have other issues, you discover it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, but I, I just think that we, the, the church in America and around the world, but specifically the church in America is literally being transformed right before our eyes hmm. because you look, you look around. Since the, uh, we're not in a post-pandemic mindset, by the way, mm-hmm. we're still in whatever this is. Uh, the football stadiums are packed. The malls are packed. The concerts are packed. All secular ev- environments, events are packed. There's one area that's glaringly uh, the exception, and that's the church. Mm-hmm. People have not come back. And, and I think part of that reason is because after a year and a half, they've gone, you know, I haven't been to church in a year and a half, and my life's still the same. Now, I'm not one of these guys that advocate that we shouldn't get together. I, I think we should. Uh, I, I've been pushing churches to do do a better job with online and stuff. Uh, yes, but 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 there are pastors who are kicking and screaming right now, and I'm making them mad right now as I say this, that, 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 that are like, well, the Bible says don't uh, forsake the assembly of the stuff you're together. I, I get that, but that's one verse. <laughs> and they built a whole theology around that one verse. Mm. The, the, it, church was not, it's not supposed to be about, me, y'all come and watching me do my thing. Mm-hmm. Come watching our band play. Come check out our light show. And again, I, I, all that stuff's wonderful. But if that's the reason we gather, if when people leave your church or leave your meeting, if they're talking about the how what a communicator you are, how great the music was, how cool everybody's clothes were, you know, the uh, the lighting or the aesthetics, if they leave and they're not talking about Jesus or they're not talking about other people's lives that are being impacted, then I think sometimes it's about the show. And it's really funny mm-hmm. because uh, m- most people think that only the mega churches or the big churches are are personality driven. I can assure you, in the space that I work in, every church is personality driven. It's about mm-hmm. the personality of the either the leader being whether that's the pastor or maybe some board member. You know, because some churches the pastor is not the leader; the board member is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was never. It's never been supposed to be about that. It's supposed to be about Jesus. And, uh, and, and what's, I think is so cool is we're at a place now to where things are so bad, uh, across the country and our, and, and our churches that we're having to reach out for help that we're having mm-hmm. to actually start praying and asking Jesus <laughs> to guide us and direct us. And so I'm really excited about where the church is going mm-hmm. because it's literally being transformed right before mm-hmm. our eyes to become more real and to become more relational 
uh, and not be about the show, but to be about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Have you worked with churches overseas and other places uh, around the world? Mm-hmm. Been to Honduras, been to uh, Dominican Republic. Uh, I've done some uh, video things through Purpose Driven Church that have gone all around the world. Uh, same thing. Mm-hmm. See, the, the sad news is, is uh, when America, and we used to do this, you, I think, did you go to Trinidad with us? I did. I was there yeah, on the first trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. we go to, in most cases, not all cases, but in most cases, uh, when we go on short-term mission trips, which is like a week or 10 day mission trip for a lot of people, it's a vacation. It's an mm-hmm. opportunity for them to go to Trinidad or, or Honduras or Dominican or somewhere to see something. Uh, and so what we've done as missionaries in a lot of cases is we've gone to other places and tried to make them just like our American churches. Mm-hmm. So the Trinidad is a great example. You remember how the steel pan band would yep. come to. So, so we go to Trinidad and I, I actually was asked to preach on a Sunday morning at the church. They're up there and they're singing old hymns, acapella. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where are the steel pans? Oh, we don't use them here. I'm going, why would you use them in the U S <laughs> to get us to come over here? And we get over here. And, and so it's like, it's all flip flop. Mm-hmm. And what we got to learn how to do is just be who we are in Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and so I, I found that, that a lot of the issues that we deal with in the American church were also happening in other places because we're the ones that kind of tell them, this is how you do it. And, and mm-hmm. maybe we need to relearn that it's all about falling in love with Jesus. That's mm-hmm. really what it's all about. And then just, you know, walking with him daily. Yeah. So as you look at your life and as you look at your, your end run, your, your last 20 years, mm-hmm. What's that going to do? What, what's that going to, what's your focus going to be? How's that, how's your purpose going to be the same or change? Um, the, the main thing is the pressure's gone. And so, so I'm going to live, you know, I feel like I, I want, to, one of the things that we, I went through when I, when I had to go for counseling after almost drowning, I had two questions that, that I had to talk to with my counselor. The first one was, was I go, look, you got to tell me, am I going to die early? <laughs> Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to turn 60 this year. I'm like, I want to live a long life. And I had to come to grips with the fact I don't get to make that choice. Mm-hmm. All my days were determined before one came to being, and I want to live a long life. I want to do my two grandkids. I want to do their weddings in the future. Mm-hmm. If, if that's the Lord's will. Uh, and, and, but I'm okay if I don't get to, cause I, I'm going to live every day for Jesus. And then the, and then the second question I asked him, I said, okay, I went on this sabbatical because God called me to go on the sabbatical. Uh, I'm not doing anything wrong. We're just playing in the ocean and we get sucked out in a rip current and I almost drown. And, and, and I said, I want to know something. Where was Jesus? <laughs> and so he, so, so my counselor, he does this and it's really weird. He prays with his eyes open and he goes, okay, uh, Jesus still wants to know where you were. <laughs> and I close my eyes. Cause I'm like, I can't watch him do that. You know? And so, so, <laughs> and, and so it's immediately, as soon as he's prayed that I just start laughing. He goes, why are you laughing? I said, cause Jesus said he was right there. I go, well, boy, that messes up my theology. <laughs> <laughs> he was right there. And, and I don't know if you are, if you're familiar with, there's a, uh, a, a, another new group of folks in, in Christian music called Maverick city music. And they did a song called Jira. And, uh, the second verse of that song, uh, basically says you'd cross an ocean. So I wouldn't drown. Uh, and it gets me in, you know, every mm-hmm. time when I hear it, mm-hmm. because he hasn't forsaken me, he hasn't forgotten me, but he needs me to know he, he, he is, he is my source and he's my only source. So as I live out these next 20 years, I want to be there for my wife. I want to be there for my daughters. I have three daughters. I want to be there for my grandkids. Uh, I want to be there for any pastor who needs help. But at the end of the day, I just want Jesus to give me a fist bump and say, Hey man, thanks for having small churches. Mm. And I'm not keeping score anymore. Yeah. So what's the next big thing for you? Well, I mean, how do you relate big? <laughs> I mean, this ministry that we're doing now, it's, it's, I mean, we're, we're working with hundreds of churches every year. Um, this past, I, I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, as I mentioned, purpose driven, uh, Rick Warren's church, they, uh, they reached out to us and we did a set of me and a guy named Carl Vaders who who's in this same small church space, did a four video set with them and it went all around the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, as I said, our team is growing. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I just started writing a new book. I'm writing another book about. I was going to ask you, you have another mm-hmm. book in the works? Yeah. Yeah. I just started it. Uh, it's, it's along the lines of, of vision. Uh, and again, oh, oh, sure. Dale, everybody's well, yes and no, because a lot of small church guys don't have vision. Mm. They don't know they're supposed to have vision or they won't speak it out. And, mm-hmm. and so their churches are suffering because there's, if there's no vision, then nobody knows where we're going. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I'm on, just kind of talking about help, helping people to understand how to bring that out of themselves. Um, 
so there's yeah, another book in the, on the horizon. Uh, you know, we're doing conferences all over the country. Um, and one of the other things that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see how it plays out is uh, just the international connections that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so again, uh, you know, Conrad, I, and, and I mean this with all my heart, and I would not have meant this six years ago or before. Uh, if I get to do all that, I'm great. If I don't do any of it, I'm great. Mm-hmm. I don't define my life anymore by what I do. Uh, I am who I am uh, because Jesus saved me. When I was a seven-year-old kid at a Baptist church on a Tuesday night revival, and I recognized that I needed him to come into my life, and I asked him to come in my life, and he came into my life, and the Spirit of God came to live within me, that's never changed. And so uh, it just took me 50-something years to be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we're all a product of how we grew up. We're all a product of uh, the, the wins and losses. Uh, but, man, if you could ever get to a place in your life where you realize, man, God's not keeping score. <laughs> He's just not keeping score. And that in itself, um, it'll set you free. Mm. Wow. And with that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. How can people uh, get a hold of you and buy your book? How can, how can they find you? It's very simple. Go to 95, and it's the numbers 95. Don't write out the words 95. 95network.org is our website and we have a store online there and, and all the connections and you can email me there as well. Uh, it's just my email is dale at 95 network.org. If you're a pastor specifically of a small or mid-sized church, if you're a staffer uh, and, and you just need some support and help, that's why we exist. We exist to connect small and mid-sized churches to health building resources. And, and, and our vision is this, you'll love this. One. Our vision is to bring healthy change to every church in America. <laughs> well, that's a big task. It is a big task. <laughs> Most people say, boy, that sounds great. But I know they're thinking, yeah, all right, buddy. I'm, uh, who knows? Because we can't do it ourselves. One of our sure. core values is we call connections. And so if someone needs something, we try to hand them off to who can help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I mean, why not dream big, man? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Dale, thank you so much for being on the Explore Purpose podcast. I really appreciate your time. And uh, your friendship over the years, and even yes. though we haven't seen each other in I don't know how long, it's been a while, but uh, thank you for being here today. Oh, it's been my privilege, and I appreciate what you're doing. And I just ask, you know, pray that God will continue to bless it, and it'll grow, and you'll continue to impact people, uh, especially as you keep dealing with real issues uh, uh, because people are looking for answers. So thank you for what you do. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for joining me today on the Explore Purpose podcast. If you got something out of today's program or you enjoyed it, please leave a review and subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. What are you waiting for? It's easy. Just hit the subscribe button and be sure to sign up to join us for Explore Purpose Insiders this coming Thursday night at 7 p.m. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, I look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Explore Purpose podcast. In the meantime, go out there, live with purpose, and let's make an impact on the world around us. Take care.